0: This is Block by Block, a community news program from WPPMLP, 106.5 FM, where we explore issues affecting the Philadelphia area with interviews and news reports filled by members of the community. I am Brujo de la Mancha.
1: And I'm Michelle Gillard-Houston. Tonight, we'll hear stories from our community news reporters about a group opening a new meeting center for women in Philadelphia's Germantown neighborhood an organization working to end gun violence in Pennsylvania, and a Day of the Dead exhibit honoring those who have lost their lives to the COVID-19 pandemic.
0: First, Election Day is less than a week away. To get sense of what is at stake, block by block, reported Maleka Frown spoke with uh, Reverend Mark Kelly Tyler. He's a pastor of Mother Bethlehem and also works with POWER, an interfaith organization promoting social justice causes in the region. Right now, Tyler has also another job.
2: I am serving currently in the role as the interim director of civic engagement, which really tries to manage and oversee powers, electoral work, get out the vote, voter registration, canvassing, phone banks, souls to the polls, trying to make sure that people are able to exercise their rights in a democracy as best as they can. It's an exciting time, and yet at the same time for a lot of people in our state and in our city, it's also filled with a great deal of anxiety about the uncertainty of what will happen on election day.
3: Tell us, what is at stake for voters in this election?
2: Every election you have kind of the, I'd say like the staples of what's at stake. And in our community, those things don't change overnight. Gun violence is always a problem. It's even more so now than it was in the 2020 election, where we're witnessing record homicides, record shootings in Philadelphia. And so we need common sense gun laws in addition to other things. And so guns, you know, are gonna be on the ballot and how we legislate guns, how we tackle illegal guns. I, I want to make that clarification. Schools are still on the ballot. Public schools continue to be a problem in places like Philadelphia and continue to need the kind of support that we as a community should give them. You shouldn't be punished as a child based on the zip code you were born into or the zip code that your family can afford to go to. Every school should be a mastermind or a central. And so that's what we're always fighting for, you know, better jobs, better wages, Business opportunities for black owned businesses and brown owned businesses, women owned businesses in our community. These things are on the ballot every time. They look different this time because of COVID and the wake of COVID. But I want to add one other thing that up until now, we really have never had to worry about. The threat to democracy is absolutely on the ballot. I mean, there have been times where we've questioned the outcome of an election. I lived through the 2000 election. I remember, you know, the hanging chads and all of that. But where we are in 2022 is very different because we are at a place now where people are questioning, I mean, mainstream candidates Not fringe candidates, but how many gubernatorial candidates around the country, how many candidates for the U.S. Senate and for the House are literally saying that you cannot trust the system. That is a real threat because oftentimes what those people say is there are people in Philadelphia, which is coded dog whistle language for black people. They're stealing votes in Detroit in Philadelphia, in Atlanta, in Oakland. I mean, you may as well just say black people are stealing the votes because that's what you are trying to hint at when there's no shred of evidence. And so we really have to be concerned that one, the results of the election will be respected by everyone, winners and losers, and that we all abide by that. And then we move on to the next election. And number two, we also have to make sure that there are no threats to the process of voting, that people should not be intimidated. They should not be filmed as they're dropping their ballots off for early voting as they're doing in some places. People should not feel as though you may be put out of the country for exercising a right that you legally have in that moment if you qualify. And so I am deeply concerned, as others within power are and our allies that people's right to vote is under assault.
3: I wanna ask you if you could tell us a little bit about how white Christian nationalism comes into play in this election.
2: You know, look, I am a Christian pastor. And so when we speak of the threat of white Christian nationalism, this is not an attack against Christianity you know, we work in an interfaith setting. So we work alongside Muslims and Jewish folk and people of multiple faith traditions, and we all respect one another. But what we're looking at with white nationalism that often finds a way of infiltrating the white evangelical Christian church is not a new phenomenon. If you go back 100 years during the period of lynching, What you will see are pastors there, people who would announce in churches that there will be a lynching after church and people would go down to the lynchings as a congregation and a community that if it were not for the white evangelical Protestant church, Jim Crow in America would have never lasted, but it was propped up and held up by churches that remained silent and would not step out on faith and be bold, but instead cowered in the face of bullies within their pews and their pulpits. This is the same threat that we're facing today. People who use the imagery and the language of God and the church in ways that are anything but holy. We're talking about people who masquerade. I mean, look, the KKK does not burn a tree. It burns a cross. And so that is the ultimate expression of what white Christian nationalism is. And so anyone who wants to understand it, use that as their starting point, and it gets worse from that point forward. The right to vote is one of the most fundamental values that as Americans we share. We can disagree on everything from abortion to marriage equality, to the size of government and priorities and spending but i think we should all agree on the fact that one vote one person that it is a way for us to exercise our right even if we don't win i can be that one vote to say no and to let my vote be heard and that everyone should be concerned about voting so i want to uh say to folk make sure that on november the 8th that you don't let anything get in your way in the case of black folk in particular that people died and bled that we might have this right. The very least that we can do is to get out and exercise it.
1: In Pennsylvania, the Senate and governor's races have been getting a lot of attention this year, but voters in Philadelphia will also see some other things on their ballots. Block by Block's Brad Linder spoke with someone who could tell us a little bit more about what voters should expect, whether they're voting in person on Tuesday or casting ballots by mail.
4: My name is Pat Christmas, Policy Director for the Committee of Seventy. The Committee of Seventy is a nearly 120-year-old organization that focuses on good government here in Philadelphia and across the state of Pennsylvania. Polls will be open at 7 o'clock in the morning on November 8th. They'll close at 8 o'clock. Any voter who is in line by 8 o'clock should be able to use the voting system. And for anyone who's going to a voting precinct for the very first time, you will have to show a form of ID. But there's a long list of acceptable IDs with or without a picture. Vote.phila.gov is the city's election website. Always double-check your voting place. Always check your voter registration status. But otherwise, it should be pretty similar to any other election year. For folks who have requested a mail-in ballot, hopefully you've received it already. You've filled it out, or if you haven't yet, fill it out tonight and get it back. The hard deadline for these mail-in ballots is eight o'clock on Election Day, Tuesday, November 8th. You can stick it in the mail on Election Day or the day before, it will not get there in time. So I guess Thursday or Friday of this week, I would definitely return that ballot in person if you can. And fortunately, in Philadelphia, there are 24-7 drop-off options across the city. Again, vote.phila.gov lists all those options. In an even-numbered election year, we're usually not having municipal offices on our ballots. There are four Philadelphia City Council special elections happening on November 8th. Two of them are at-large and two of them are district specific. And the reason we have these special elections is because vacancies were created when sitting city council members resigned to run for mayor. The two at-large seats cover all of the city of Philadelphia, so every Philadelphia voter will see these two seats open and candidates running for those two seats. Two of the special elections for city council are district specific. District 7, which is a a large swath of North Philly east abroad, and District 9, which is parts of the lower northeast and parts of North Philly as well, Logan, Ogontz. And those will be only voters in those parts of the city that see those particular seats on their ballot. But yeah, don't be caught off guard by the special election city council seats that will also be on your ballots here in Philly. If you see names on there that you may not recognize, that's okay. When special elections are called in Pennsylvania, there is a very short time frame from the time that special election is called and when that special election has to be had usually. And the parties get to choose their nominees with a process that's largely up to them. And so these folks generally don't have to campaign all too much. These special election winners will serve out the remainder of this particular city council term, which goes through the end of 2023. We have, of course, next year in May of 2023, big primaries here in the city of Philadelphia for For all of city council and the mayor, we'll have the general election, of course, in November of 2023 as well. And so what's interesting and what may be a little bit confusing is that if some of these folks want to run for a full term themselves beginning in 2024, they may also run in those primaries, which a couple of these folks may do, a couple of these folks probably will not do. There are two questions on the ballot here in Philadelphia this fall. Both of them proposed amendments to the city's Home Rule Charter, which is basically like our Constitution. It describes how Philadelphia city government is set up. And one question would give, essentially, bonus points to folks who are applying for civil service jobs in city government straight out of the school district's CTE program, this Career and Technical Education program. Those students, when applying for a city job, and they have to take an exam of some sort, will get a little bit of a leg up in getting that city job. The other question, asks whether we should take our two airports, PHL, the big international airport in South Philly, and Northeast Philadelphia Airport that are currently housed in the Commerce Department for operational and leadership purposes to move the airports out of the Commerce Department and into their own Department of Aviation. City departments are the building blocks of city government, and there are numerous reasons why it's kind of more efficient and logical to have big pieces of city government in their own department. So this is really an efficiency of government question. And the two city airports have a combined budget of $400 million or so. So that's a big slug of Philadelphia's overall budget. It would make sense to do this, and there's no opposition. In fact, the mayor, the airport leadership, all agree this is a sensible change on that front. There are all sorts of really compelling reasons to go out there and cast a ballot paying homage to the fight and sacrifice of past generations to uh, expand the franchise for everybody, like is one of them. But on a practical level, some elections are really, really close. Some local elections come down to just a handful of votes. Some statewide elections sometimes come down to a very, very small number of votes. And if you're talking about just such a small number of people making that decision to stay home or not return that mail-in ballot, That's ultimately where a result comes from. Don't worry about the polls. They may suggest a close race. They may suggest a more distant race. But you need to get out there and exercise your franchise because you just don't know how close it's going to be and you don't want to be sitting on the sidelines.
1: Voters who requested a mail-in ballot but either haven't received it yet or have changed their minds and want to vote in person can still do that. If you have your mail-in ballot, you can bring it to your polling place along with the return envelope that came with it. Then you can turn them both over to a poll worker in order to vote in person. If you don't have a ballot or run into any other problems on election day, you can request a provisional ballot.
0: For more regulation coverage, you can Tune into PhillyCent TV on election night for a live broadcast of Democracy Now! from 10 to midnight. It will provide in-depth analysis or real-time results from congressional and government races across the country. You can find out how to watch by visiting phillycanorg watch
1: A grassroots collective called the Crossroads Women's Center is opening a new facility in Germantown. Reporter and community organizer Maleka Fruin spoke with the group's organizers to learn more. The new space on Wayne Avenue is still under renovation, but Crossroads Women's Center will be holding an open house on Friday afternoon.
3: The sounds of polishing floors and echoed conversation is regular background noise at the new Crossroads Women's Center located in the Germantown neighborhood of Philadelphia. The space is huge compared to their last location. The multi-generational and multiracial organization has been saving money for years and bought the space in Germantown on Wayne Avenue knowing it would need a lot of work to make it usable. But the work is almost done and the organizers are ready for everything that could happen in the new space. One of the organizers, Carolyn Hill, explores the new possibilities there.
0: Just different departments for different things that's going on out here. People with um, housing, people with medical, DHS, people in prison, the students that go to school and stuff, keep them out of trouble, open up a center for them to come to, interact, daycare. It's a, I'm looking for a lot. That's how big that center is and um, I'm looking for all that to go on in there and helping people with all their problems. You know, so we sit down. We don't do the work for them. They got to do what they sell, but we're there to help them.
3: Crossroads is a grassroots collective and its advocacy and social work has been around for decades, centering women and families and caregivers of every gender their model of lived experience and self-help isn't the most traditional of nonprofits. And organizer Tree Muldrow talks about what that could look like in the new center. We're not held by government agencies or CEOs
5: or, you know, we are a self-help group. Uh, Most of us that have joined came in with an issue and we learn from each other, we educate each other, we support each other, we help find resources for our members, and that's an education. And then what we learn, we pass on to other people. So it feels like more like a safe place. We can easily discuss problems that we might not going to a public agency, we might not be able
3: to discuss. The collective want to continue the work they're doing and hopefully expand services and events within the new center. Organizer Phoebe Jones was at the space explaining how providing healthy lunches for everyone who works in the center is just part of their plan for sustainable action. We're not lawyers. We are grassroots people who, many of us have been through it ourselves. Some haven't, but some have been, you know, experienced, and we pool our resources and we pool our experiences and use it for collective good. So so when I say that the people... The people who run the center are also the people who use the center. And we have a commitment to healthy lunch. We're not feeding the masses here. That's not what our purpose is. Our purpose is if you are taking action or you are volunteering here and you're helping with the work that goes on here, then we have a commitment to having a healthy lunch so we can all keep going (laughs) and deal with um, our health issues. Work on the center continues to happen, and on November 4th, they will have an open house to connect with the community on their journey. Muldrow sums up what the space feels like. Personally, I just feel that it's a really good, safe
5: place, and so many issues that we face are caused by poverty and racism or, or whatever. And, you know, we, we trust each other. We build trust among each other. So we want to bring this out to the community because every issue that affects one of us not only affects us individually, it affects our family, it affects our neighborhood, it affects our general community, and it affects our environment. So I think that that's just, to me personally, that's just a beautiful thing. And that's what I really am excited about.
1: can find more information about Crossroads Women's Center and their Friday's Open House on their website and Facebook page.
0: Block by blog Report Salina Singleton has been reporting on God violence in Philadelphia and how residents and community members are working to fight. This week, Salina speaks with the head of CIS Fighter PA to find out more about how the organization works with community Close to the issues, closest to the issues, and to hold those in power accountable.
6: My name is Adam Garber, and I'm the executive director at Ceasefire PA. I had probably known about Ceasefire PA for a number of years. I've lived in Philly since 2007. I've spent most of that time working on environmental issues, like ensuring we have clean water to drink and that the air is safe to breathe, and to ending climate change and you know, was really watching as the pandemic started and even beforehand, how gun violence was really changing Philadelphia and the state. I mean, I think that we pay a lot of attention when there's a horrific mass shooting, which makes a lot of sense like Uvalde, but also I live in South Philly. We see shootings fairly regularly in my community. I've lost friends to firearm suicide. And so when the opportunity arose really to, I think, you know, if we can't be safe, I kind of think everything else becomes secondary. And we just reached that point where this issue, because of the prevalence of guns, means we're not safe anymore.
3: How does your organization work within the community? What does your work actually look like in the field?
6: Ceasefire PA is the state's gun violence prevention advocacy organization. So our mission is really to ensure that everyone can live a life free from gun violence by building the kind of public support here in Philadelphia and well beyond it to shift policy. Look, we found out that the bullets used to kill Nick at Roxborough High School should never have been allowed to be purchased, that that individual was not allowed to buy bullets, but because there's no background check and there's no legal system requiring a check, um, he was able to, and now we've lost a young man's life, and three others are irrevocably changed, not to mention the whole community. So our role is lifting up partners, survivors, individuals, who are facing this crisis in a very direct way or who are deeply concerned about it because they are watching the damage it's causing and helping them advocate for the kind of solutions that will end it. Some of that is about working here in Philadelphia to push the city to do more to invest in violence intervention programs. Some of that is our legal work to sue the state, to empower communities like Philadelphia. But the most of it's focused on the General Assembly. And I think that's really critical on this issue because... Unfortunately, the General Assembly has tied the hands of us in Philadelphia in many ways from saving the lives of our neighbors.
3: How do you advise people who are just concerned citizens that want to be a part of the
6: change? First off, I start by saying like, look, anyone, if you are concerned, you have a voice in this process and nothing should stop you from using it. And you should not be worried about not knowing the policies, not knowing the intricacies of how legislation moves. You should make sure that you are working with your neighbors, with community groups and with organizations like us to really advocate for those solutions that you're seeing are necessary. I believe deeply that every voice in this will help us move forward solutions and that we never want it to feel hard to engage in this process. It feels scary. But look, elected officials are in many ways just like us. They're parents, their brothers, their sisters, they've lost people to this crisis. They know people who've lost it to the crisis, their business leaders and their lawyers and their doctors, less doctors than we'd like. Recognizing and making the connections on that really human level can have a huge impact. The other piece is we run a leadership institute, which is designed to give everyone the tools to advocate for the solutions we need. So we walk through what does gun violence look like, not only in Philadelphia, but across the Commonwealth, because I think it's really important to recognize that the highest gun death rates from gun violence is actually in rural communities from firearm suicide. Not to undermine what's happening here, but rather to recognize that everyone is losing someone to this crisis and through that loss we should bond together for solutions and so those trainings are intended to give you the knowledge and the tools to advocate and then we'll take you to harrisburg we'll meet with your legislators we'll get you engaged in our work you'll come do things so those are part of the core work that our organizers are doing on an everyday basis you got to vote this fall you got to vote november and gun safety your safety is on the ballot and I am in this moment, not going to say we've endorsed a set of candidates, you can go look, but like, go vote, because if you don't show up, then we can't do the work it's going to take to make you safer. Long term, we've lost 3,000 people during the current legislative session, and not a single gun safety bill has popped up for a real vote. That can't happen next session. The only way it's going to not happen is if we make it clear that that's no longer acceptable. And so that's what we're going to start working on in November is to put this at the top of the list of whoever wins.
3: How can people find out more about your organization?
6: Best way is ceasefirepa.org. You can sign up in the top right and there's a volunteer option. We'll get back in touch with you. You can also reach out to us. Phone number's up there, 215-923-3151. And one of our organizers here in Philadelphia, if you're listening elsewhere in the state, will get back in touch and let you know how you can get involved in the coming weeks.
0: If you know an organization, a community member, who is making an impact on God violence, you can contact Salina on Instagram at a spicy pecan Podcast and let her know about it.
1: People in our region are celebrating the Mexican Day of the Dead, For the second year, Brujo set up a community exhibit outside of the Rotunda at 40th and Walnut Streets in West Philadelphia. People can share gifts and other items to honor those in our region who lost their lives during the COVID-19 pandemic. Block by Block's Brad Linder visited Brujo yesterday while he was setting up an altar, also called an ofrenda. Kitty Height was the first person to stop by with an offering to remember her lost loved one. She brought one of his favorite fruits.
6: I have an orange and some calendula flowers and a picture of Anthony. Anthony passed away during COVID. So I just, I like being able to remember him. And this was, he loved fall. This was like his favorite time of year. So I like having an opportunity to come and like him out there and, and
0: remind the world that he existed my name is brujo de la mancha and we are here setting up in a mexican altar the day of the dead for the people who die on the covid 19 with the virus or not here outside of the rotunda day of the dead it comes from the aztec people and some other native american cultures they believe the energy goes away, then it returns around this time is to remember your ancestors, your family, other important people possible. The idea of the native of Mexico is like you don't really die. You cannot fall asleep. And that energy, when it returns, is here with us. So basically, it's to honor your ancestors, but also comes with the harvest. Basically, you know, it's around this time too because the way how the planet rotates and it's more pointing to the North Pole now. And we celebrate now on November 1st, 2nd, or something like that. Ofrendas in Spanish, it comes from the way of Latin of offering. So something that you give. So an ofrenda, like an altar, means that you put something to offering for the spirits, the energy to return on this time. It's like a party. So they return, they know where to come, and they take the energy from something. Or even you know, if you believe on this, on the spirits or something, they come over and they say, oh, that's cool, you know? Like, that was for me, this is for me? Cool, I can take it, you know? So that's the idea. So everything that you see represents some type of feeling or attachment to that concept, to that idea. So yeah, so the items here, their hats, have the classic skull, some old European plates, bunch of lies. They have have skull heads and the baby items, plastic flowers. I should buy some real ones too, but these ones, you know, last longer outside. So, we have flowers. More paper flowers to put around. A cross with flowers, candles. We have the classic skull too. We will put it there. Here is the radio. Radio, music is important because, you know, like, you don't want to be all sad out. So you want to have some music for them. We have everything we can and manage. Little ceramic, uh, flute, I think it still works. For the kids when they come. This is an outdoor exhibition or ofrenda. Sometimes you have in museums or something like that, but when it's on your house, everything should be more like real. Like you really have food, you have water, you have coffee, you have tea things that people used to like at the time and they want to come over and enjoy it again, you know? So, and this ofrenda is open to the public. They can put anything they want. But it is important, you know, because people come over and they maybe don't even know about it and they don't even don't even have a time. And they maybe come with an idea and they put something on their house, you know, as a simple a glass of water, a candle, some salt, a picture of somebody you may remember, put some fruit. That's simple, you know. But the idea is to offer from the heart. That's the more important. On Friday, we will have another activity. It will be a workshop of paper flowers. There will be some Aztec dance around 7 p.m. We are here from 6 to 8. And it's open to the public. Anyone can come and, yeah, bring your family, bring your kids, Forty Street and Walnut here at the Rotunda. Block by Block is produced by Alice Hall, Chris Hill, John Morrison, Maleka Fruen, Salina Singleton, Wayne Hunter and Oz, Brujo de la Mancha,
1: and Michelle Gillard Houston. Brad Linder is Radio News Managing Editor for WPPM, and Allison Durham is WPPN's Radio Production and Program Coordinator. Wayne Hunter was our board operator for this episode.